This podcast is made possible by listeners such as yourself. To support Awake Aware Live, please visit patreon.com slash Jacob Gossel. Hello, my name is Jacob Michael Gossel, and this podcast is called Awake, Aware, Alive. Um, This is a solo podcast uh, because I am at my apartment alone, so that's really the only option I have right now. And um, I wanted to talk about anxiety and panic attacks and depression and all that good stuff, all the accoutrement to anxiety, Um, because it's something I've experienced a lot, and I know a lot of people uh, experience it and have a lot of challenges with it, and I wanted to share um, some of the stuff I've went through with it in ways that I've learned to um, traverse its rocky terrain. And uh, this podcast will probably end up being more or less uh, about my history um, with it, um, because it can be a bit of a long story, but I will get into uh, the main sort of method that I've used to uh, learn to get through a lot of that stuff. Um. So maybe a little backstory. Um, before I ever knew what uh, anxiety was, or had even literally heard of it, I'd never. Uh, I had no idea there there was such a thing or whatever. I was um, seventeen. Ter- or, uh, yeah, seventeen, going on eighteen years old summer before my senior year of high school and for about a year prior to that summer I had started smoking cannabis which was mostly a pretty positive experience for me it was obviously very uh, the the very first experience I had with cannabis was intensely uh, frightening Uh, I won't go down that rabbit hole at this point, but first experience was terrible. After that, it was very positive experiences, very mind-expanding and creativity-enhancing. I had also just started uh, playing music. Um, had a drum machine, had some drums, started experimenting with music, um, well under the influence of cannabis, etc., having all sorts of good times with buddies. But, of course, this was hidden uh, from my mom at the time, uh, because at this time, of course, cannabis was still very demonized, and I was uh, a high schooler, and... Yeah, so there was a lot of guilt and fear around the idea of getting caught, or if I was doing something bad, etc. So, um... That combined with, I think, just the intensity of the introspectiveness 
of cannabis and also um, going through a breakup and kind of suppressing some emotions and etc. All of those things sort of started to compound to just uh, chronic worrying and and uh, stress that I I don't think I realized was building and building like a pressure cooker of sorts. And one night uh, on a weekend when my parents were uh, up north at a cabin, I had a friend over and we uh, smoked some cannabis, had some fun. And that night I was trying to go to sleep and I was uh, had some sort of physical... A worry, hypochondriac kind of thing. I had a swollen gland or something that was just stressing me out. And I could not get to sleep. And I was panicking. It was building to a point of panic. Every time I started to fall asleep, I felt like my heart was stopping. And so I would immediately jolt awake. And so I was, I was awake essentially all night in a state of panic. Um... And by the next morning, I basically felt like I was on an alien planet, um, realizing that for the first time, I was some sort of strange being. And I did not know what to do with that feeling. And so I remember my mom coming home and I was just following her around aimlessly throughout the house, just like... I did not know what to do because I was just so distraught. Um, so at that point, uh, I ended up, she brought me to the uh, hospital at some point, And, you know, so I got a little evaluation where they just have you answer a small amount of questions or whatever. And they just prescribed me antidepressants and did that whole thing. Uh, luckily, I had some uh, really good friends that kind of got me uh, down the path of thinking in terms of uh, spiritual awakening and things like that. Um, so right from the start, I I definitely had a sense that there was more to it than just some type of uh, ink, some type of disease or. Um, chemical imbalance or what have you and um, just to keep in mind as I'm going through this I'm obviously no type of medical professional or anybody who really knows anything I'm just speaking from my own experience here so went through the whole antidepressant thing that was interesting Uh, the anxiety stuff sort of subsided after a while Um, but really it was months of living in what felt like some type of alternate dimension. But eventually, um, yeah, things somewhat uh, came back to a state of normalcy. So then um, a few years later, uh, I went through another kind of patch of really intense anxiety, panic. Um, Was turned on to this book by a, a... psychiatrist called Hope and Help for Your Nerves by this Dr. Claire Weeks. 
It's a really old book. Um, doctor from like the 60s. And so I'll get more into that book later. It's a very good book. I read it and it made sense to me, but I was not willing to commit to her methods, which are very simple and basic. But it started to give me somewhat of an understanding of what anxiety is, how an anxiety state starts to um, build and manifest and why and how you can uh, reverse the process and get yourself out of it. But like I said, I was not ready to... uh, really fully trust the methods and commit to those. So I wound up mainly out of uh, fear and self-doubt of kind of going the uh, medication route again, um, which was not really in line with my my deeper uh, intuition and and view of the world. But I was did not have a strong enough inner voice and um yeah i didn't have a strong enough inner voice to really uh just believe in myself and i sort of uh listened too much to outside influences and pressures and was so afraid that it could keep getting worse that i went the medication route again uh this was another stretch of just sort of living in this odd feeling constantly in fear um every crazy wild thought you might have feels like it's real and uh you get sort of obsessive thoughts and get depressed nothing is interesting no food tastes good no real desires no anything and that was just sort of the baseline reality for for a period of time and so got through that experience um so then years later um i was about 27 years old approximately um I had started working at a sex offender program up in Moose Lake and it was a very high stress job. It was essentially like a security guard job at a maximum security prison. And I volunteered. Um, so I, I was a utility staff, which means you work every, uh, every different staff position in the facility. And one of the, um, one of my responsibilities was called A-Team, which is like an emergency response team. So on A-Team, um, you run to people's units when they're getting in fights, trying to break out, uh, any type of insane behavior um, that happened to go on there, which was plenty. And there was a lot of really uh, big, scary individuals there that had done really gnarly stuff. So you could carry mace if you wanted to, but to be able to carry mace, you had to... Oh my God. One moment. 
<laughs> so to be able to carry mace, you had to uh, experience getting maced. You had to volunteer to get maced. Um, so I'm a, I'm a small guy. Um, and so if I was going to be running into these dangerous situations, I definitely wanted to have mace. So I volunteered to get maced. So I got maced, and it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Um, it was extremely excruciating. Uh, it's like razor blades on fire in your eyeballs. Anyways, <laughs> that was a what much too long of a tangent to uh, about the mace. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is the entire experience at the sex offender program was in very stressful and it um i was just very out of my element in life in general i was in a time period of uh swimming upstream as a friend eloquently put it once um but i really wasn't making much music i wasn't creating much art i was kind of uh chasing a relationship that was extremely dysfunctional uh, and, and I was pursuing that um, based on insecurity. I was motivated by my own insecurity, wanted validation from this person. And um, so all of these things, again, sort of built into this culmination of um, I ended up breaking my elbow in an ice skating uh, incident I fell ice skating. Yeah, it wasn't much of an incident. But yes, I fell ice skating, broke my wrist, or I uh, broke my elbow rather, dislocated it. And I had already had this these anxiety uh, things building and I was afraid of them and I was just kind of trying to ignore it and I was living so out of sync with my, uh, with my sort of true self, if you want to call it, or whatever, my authenticity... Um, which is fine, but that were, you know, looking back, I see that these were the um, ingredients for this uh, chaotic recipe that I was cooking for myself. <clears throat> and the broken elbow uh, was the chef that served it up for me. So once I had that, this was like middle of, uh, middle of, January, I believe, in 2012, dislocated my elbow. I was out of work. I could not work, um, and I and I couldn't uh, really play music or or do much. And I was living in Sandstone, Minnesota, which is a tiny town all by myself. Um, and I was disconnected from a lot of my friends and stuff. So. That really ramped the anxiety up to a whole new level. Uh, big time panic attacks. Very intense introspective life reevaluation, which is what I really needed, honestly. Um, and so, sort of cut that uh, relationship out of my life, uh, stopped the pursuit of that. Um, but yeah, I was just faced with a really intense anxiety, panic attacks, depression, just intense uh, intensity. And I was faced with this question again of, 
um, whether I wanted to go down this medication route or whether I wanted to sort of um, pursue some of these other understandings and methods that I had learned about through this book previously. And it's not... The, the medication thing is just my version of this kind of fork in the road uh, issue. And, you know, other people might have their own kind of version of the thing. I'm not trying to demonize uh, medication or make people feel bad if they're on it. You know, I've taken it multiple times, so I get it. But <clears throat> for me, I had this feeling deep down that uh, there was this other path that I could take and honestly felt like I needed to take. Um, and the medication idea was not as much my idea. I didn't really want to do it. It was more so something that I did out of fear, not because it's something that I believed in. Um, so in this scenario, I did end up actually uh, taking medication yet again. And it was... it In the short term, I either it did help me or or I believed it would help me and so it did um and it helped me enough to kind of as the spring came and I went back to work at the sex offender program I created a plan to move down to Minneapolis and I was determined to start uh pursuing art and music uh which is what I always wanted to do and always loved anyways and so I I decided you know I'm I'm switching gears. I'm going back to my roots. I'm going down to the uh, city, which is where I wanted to be in the first place and had just kind of gotten, quote unquote, off track, if you believe in that sort of thing. And I kind of created my plan to get back on track. So I moved down to Minneapolis, weaned off my uh, medication as I moved down and if, if anyone out there has ever been on any type of antidepressants, you know how uh, terrible it can be coming off of them. And I probably weaned off a little bit fast, and at the same time, I had found myself in a... Uh, well, I had a, like a blind date right off the bat, right when I moved down with a friend of a friend, and found myself in a, in a relationship right away and I didn't really want to be in one and I didn't know how to uh, get myself out of it essentially um, so cue uh, very intense anxiety and panic attacks all over again um, due to a smorgasbord smorgas or smorgas a smorgasbord of uh you know, being in a brand new uh, city, um, all of a sudden being in this relationship that I didn't plan on being in, having a new job, having more expensive rent, not knowing how to cover the rent, just coming off of these antidepressants. Um, basically just the rawness of change and uh, vulnerability of just being in this totally new uh, state of being. And so this is where things really got interesting. Um, 
and I went through the whole uh, standard bit of going to the emergency room, emergency room uh, doctor prescribing me some sort of anti-anxiety medication, uh, in this case was uh, Ativan, which I had never taken before, and let me tell you, they give that stuff out real easy. They don't even say much about it or give you any type of real serious warnings or directions, and I found out that um, that stuff is extremely addictive. I didn't get addicted to it personally. I only took it uh, basically every night for one week to try to uh, help sleep because I basically couldn't sleep at all. And um, just tiny amounts, like I don't remember the dosages, but I know like the dose was one pill and I would take like a quarter of a pill and a quarter to a half. And after one uh, week, I had this feeling of like, oh, I just can't be taking this garbage. And I stopped cold turkey and I couldn't sleep for basically two nights straight after that. And so then I started to get really uh, curious about, I don't know, things just kind of switched gears. And instead of constantly being uh, looking to outside authorities for answers, I started to get slightly get on this path of like, well, I'm just going to figure out what I believe and I'm going to trust that. And so I didn't quite get there yet. But so after the two nights of no sleeping, I was really in a rough state. I felt just so, I don't know, my personality from so much constant worrying and indecisiveness and stress and fear, it basically disintegrates your personality to this point where you don't even know who you are anymore. You don't know what you like. You don't know what you want. You don't really know what thoughts are, what you actually believe and what thoughts are just weird, uh, you know, worries and, and uh, fear. And so I went to the ER again because I was just so uh, worked up over all this and just felt so fucked up. And... The ER doctor, although at the time he was really a dick, um, looking back on it, I, it, I'm just really thankful, honestly, that I had uh, a doctor like that because it was exactly what I needed to just sort of really give me the kick. Like, I went in, explained to him that I had taken this... Uh, this Ativan for a week and how I had this rebound effect um, of not being able to sleep. And he essentially just called bullshit on me and said, no, that, no, that wouldn't be the case. That's just, just very dismissive, didn't listen to me, just wanted to prescribe me a different drug and just ship me out of there. And uh, so after leaving there, I just started to feel this feeling of like, I'm sick and tired of this. Like, this dude doesn't understand me. He doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know how I feel. Like, 
he's just looking at me through his little lens of what he is projecting onto me and just wants to feed me full of drugs and ship me off. And so that really got the wheels turning of me wanting to do my own digging. And I found the um, side effects little pamphlet readout uh, for the Ativan um, at home. And I started reading through that. And it said right on there, the rebound effects uh, can occur after as little as one week of use and rebound effects included insomnia, among many other things. And this got me into the rabbit hole of researching benzodiazepines and found that they are just extremely addictive and destructive. And there's people who get addicted to them for a majority of their life. And if you try to come off them, you can have seizures and you can die. And just they're insane drugs and they're given out like nothing. Um, and that sort of validated a lot of uh, feelings that I'd already had about that whole kind of industry and just that whole side of things and how I was feeling um, about kind of needing to pursue some other method of navigating these challenges. So things were still pretty rough. I was starting to explore uh, alternate ideas of, of uh, healing methods and all of this and, and thinking about this uh, book that I had gotten in the past and all that. But things were still pretty challenging. And so one more step I took was I went and saw a psychiatrist. And I'll never, never forget this because this was the last straw for me. <clears throat> I went into the psychiatrist's office and I sat down and it was very similar to the doctor experience uh, in the ER where it was a woman who was just extremely, um, extremely dismissive and not even, not just dismissive, but just very robotic and just did not look at me or treat me like a human being. I was just... Uh, all she wanted from me was specific questions on this questionnaire. And I understand that that's kind of how that, that stuff works. But it was just ridiculous. They were all yes or no questions. But there was so much subtlety that I felt. And it just occurred to me how ridiculous it was to try to boil someone's insanely complex um, thoughts and emotions and life experiences into it like a 10 or 20 question yes or no checklist just to give you some drugs. And so that's what it was. It was like all these questions where it was like, uh, blah, 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 yes or no. And I'm like, uh, I don't know, sometimes or, you know, maybe. Um, but of course, that's not what they want from you. She just would say, I, I just need a yes or no, you know, and just like, yeah. And so walking out of there with my prescription of Zoloft that she gave me, which I had zero intention on filling, I felt strangely empowered and inspired because just because I felt so sure of how that visit was just entirely bullshit. 
I was 100% confident that that was just garbage. It, it, would, it had no... That questionnaire meant nothing to how I was actually feeling and who I actually was as a person. And so anyways, I got home. I crumpled up the prescription and threw it away. And I, although I was still just filled with anxiety and fear, I felt this sense of, of uh, motivation or um, inspiration to really like take this into my own hands. And I dug back into this Claire Weeks material and that's when things really started to change. And it was not immediate. It was still a long and uh, arduous time of feeling uh, a lot of ups and downs and a lot of progress and then a lot of setbacks. But but at least I... Um, it was on my own terms, you know. I... It, I was slowly building my own inner voice and my own confidence. And so to get into uh, some of this Claire Week stuff, since I've mentioned the book multiple times now, um, basically she invented cognitive behavioral therapy before it was a thing. Because when she came out with uh, this material, this was at a time where they were um, giving people lobotomies for... Um, anxiety and panic attacks and um, this was looked at as like a serious uh, issue and people were being institutionalized um, for these types of things and the basics of the of her sort of method and teaching are one is the, the first component is understanding which is basically just understanding what anxiety is and how it comes about and so the most basic uh, understanding of what anxiety is, is it's a state of heightened awareness and alertness as a human defense mechanism. So a state that helps us run faster, uh, think quicker, um, you know, it pumps us full of all these stress hormones to make us stronger, faster, lighter. Um, people with anxiety often have a lot of diarrhea and stuff like that because, um, you know, if you empty your bowels, you can run faster. Um, people have racing thoughts because if you can think quicker, you can evade predators. Um, it's basically all base. It's all comes down to what you hear all the time, which is the fight or flight. So if you start to change the perception of your anxiety from a disorder to a natural uh, response to danger and stress, um, that in and of itself will at least get the ball rolling of seeing... Uh, your state in a different way. And um, 
everybody has experienced short periods of anxiety or bursts of anxiety or stress. You take a big test, you have a big job interview, you go out on a first date, um, you misplace your wallet or your car keys, or everybody's had that feeling of uh, a lump in your throat or your butterflies in your stomach, you get sweaty, you get tense, uh, your thoughts race. That's a completely uh, normal human experience that I think everybody has had. The difference between a little bit of nerves and a full-blown period of chronic anxiety um, is really just you start to develop a fear of your own fear. So you have these symptoms of anxiety, sweatiness, any number of symptoms. There's a crazy amount of symptoms that these stress hormones can produce and they can get really tricky and you can convince yourself that you have all sorts of crazy diseases or that you're about to go insane. And so every time these symptoms come on, you start to become afraid of the symptoms. And so being afraid of the symptoms increases the strength of the symptoms and adds more fear to the equation. And so it's like a feedback loop. If you know anything about uh, sound or music, if you put a microphone up to a speaker, it will feed back. And so you're feeding your nervous system with more stress piled on top of stress, and it feeds back into this intense prolonged state of chronic fear. And if you're like me and you're really good at um, thinking, really complex thoughts, you can ramp your anxiety up very quickly to a point where it hits this peak of what people like to call panic, which is this, this intense surge of mental, emotional, and physical energy that is kind of a singularity of sorts that is very almost transcendent and psychedelic in a way, and it can really make you feel... It's beyond a feeling of fear. It almost enters a state of ecstasy, you could call it, which sounds like it would be a positive thing, but in this context, it is not a positive. Uh, And... Maybe everybody doesn't experience panic attacks like this, but for me, it's always been a, an extremely, it's very like dissociative. It's like um, you're extremely in the moment, but in a way where your awareness is so heightened from adrenaline or whatever that <clears throat> it's just a, a terrifying feeling, especially if you don't know what's happening to you. So enough of these combination of things going on, the, the chronic anxiety and worrying and fear and the panic attacks, um, that brings you to the kind of the third stage of the fight or flight, which I think is often uh, overlooked, which is the play dead type of uh, experience. So... If you have some type of danger going on, a predator around you or whatever, and you can't fight it and you can't run from it, what's your third option is to pretend you're dead. And so 
if you have intense anxiety and panic attacks, your, your limbic system or your nervous system, your body doesn't know how to understand that. It doesn't understand that there is no danger. It believes that there is danger because that's the signals that's being sent. And so if you're in danger long enough and you can't run from it and you can't fight it away and it just keeps uh, staying there, you're going to eventually start to play dead, which is depression. Otherwise thought of, I believe, as depletion is how Claire Weeks likes to describe it. And I really do uh, resonate with that description because I think a lot of people um, don't realize that their depression didn't come out of nowhere. It usually is... um, there is a precursor, which is worry and fear and all sorts of negative thinking. And if you have enough worry and fear and negativity, uh, negative, negative type thinking, especially fear based, that uses hormones, stress hormones and various, uh, things that you need to feel vital and motivated and, uh, happy and all that stuff and if you keep having all these chronic fears and worries eventually you will deplete those hormones to a point where the depression is just your body telling you like I can't do this anymore like I can't keep fighting this I can't keep pumping out these hormones constantly like I need a break I need to lay down I need healthier food I need minerals and vitamins I need sunlight I need I need you to stop worrying, you know. Um, But the hard part about it is the depression comes at the worst possible time. I mean, it's exactly what you need is to stop. But most people at that point, it's just like the cherry on top of like, if as if the panic attacks and the anxiety weren't enough, then all of a sudden, even when you're not in fear, you're completely empty and you have no desires and no lust for life whatsoever. So then you're at a complete rock bottom. So that was the state that I was finding myself in. And um, there's a lot more to the understanding Piece, but that's a basic rundown and that really started to shift it didn't change how I felt right away just having that understanding but at least it helped me to um, really believe in the rest of the material and to commit to uh, trusting the process um, that Claire Weeks laid out in her book for kind of navigating through this stuff. So, on to the process. <clears throat> the process is extremely simple and um, basic. So, it's definitely not easy because uh, getting through this stuff is extremely challenging, but but the steps are very simple. 
And it, it's basically a, like a four-part thing. It's um, face, accept, float, and let time pass. And essentially uh, how those break down is <clears throat> first step being face your fear. So when uh, you're, you start to feel these symptoms of anxiety, don't fight don't flight, you know, don't try to run away from them. Don't rush out of the room. Uh, stay with whatever you're doing, the task at hand. Maybe take a moment to recognize the symptoms, but face up to them. Don't try to ignore it. Face the, the scary thoughts and whatever the thing might be. Face it is the first step. Because if you're running away from it or you're trying to fight it, trying to force it to go away, either of those things are just going to fuel fuel it more. <clears throat> Second step being um, accept it. Um, so after you face the fear head on, you come to some sort of acceptance. So you say, okay, my... Um, my muscles are so tense. I don't feel like I can keep uh, doing the dishes. So instead of running out of the room to, to do something else to distract yourself or try to make your muscles not feel tense, you say, okay, my muscles are tense. I'm just going to keep doing the dishes with tense muscles. And you find out, oh, they still work. They still work normally. I can still do all the same things. It's just tense muscles. There's nothing scary about it you know you might still feel scared but you will maybe start to realize that it's not as terrible as it might feel like it is the third step float through it it's essentially um what i just described of uh floating through it is continuing whatever task you might be doing well um well, whatever symptoms you're having are going on. And so imagine yourself kind of floating through that activity. So even if you feel extremely rigid and heavy and tense and you're freaking out and um, you feel like you're about to go insane, you take a deep breath and you continue um, doing whatever it is you're doing. And... The last step being let time pass, which is exactly what it says it is, and it's just extremely simple. You just let some time pass. And the interesting thing is if you start to practice this, is simple and it can even sound ridiculous to some people, but if you really start to practice it and you commit to it, you'll find out that it works. And it works not just for anxiety, but even... Uh, nervousness like if if you're just a regular um a person with a regular amount of nervousness say a job interview you can use this same method to keep yourself calm at a job interview or like i'm a musician so i play live shows and um even now that anxiety doesn't really uh affect my life as much i get a lot of nerves playing a show or whatever but the same method that I use to kind of navigate through uh, times of anxiety function in the same way for 
nervousness when I'm about to play a show, for example. So, I mean, even within the last few years, I've had times where all of a sudden random anxiety will strike out of nowhere and it'll uh, build to some sort of panic attack. And there's a part of me that will react in the same way that I always would have in the past, which is like, basically, oh my God, there's something wrong with me. I'm about to go insane. I'm never going to be the same again, or I have to fix this somehow. I got to, uh, I need to, you know, escape whatever situation is going on around me or whatever, you know, any type of panic type reaction and thinking. Um, but if you, if I recall the steps, if I recall that, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to face this. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to continue doing whatever I'm doing. Um, and just let a little time pass. You can go from feeling like the world is about to explode. Like there's an imminent Armageddon about to descend upon you to all of a sudden in the next moment, uh, you totally forgot that you were panicking. Everything seems totally fine and you start talking to somebody and you're like, oh, uh," and you find yourself uh, captivated into a conversation. And then you remember like, oh, I forgot that that I was freaking out. I thought, what was I supposed to be freaking out about again? And so this stuff works, um, but it does take a real commitment and trust. You have to believe in it and you have to commit to it. Um, And of course, you'll have times of doubting it and flip-flopping and you'll have times of uh, regressing back into um, just complete meltdown. But... The more you have practice going through periods of anxiety and and panic attacks and various things using these methods, um, they do really, really work. And uh, it really starts to rewire your brain and how you react to fear in general. And um, that's sort of the process of instead of coming upon... uh, the challenging experience and stopping and turning around and trying to go back to who you were before the challenge. It's stepping through the challenge and, you know, walking across the hot coals and coming out the other side, a different person, because that's what life is trying to do in the first place. It's trying to carry you through a process of transformation and so I think that whole bit about the medicine, medication stuff is, that's kind of what I was trying to say is for me, the medication, me taking the medication was a manifestation of me uh, listening to other people's opinions and ideas about what I should do uh, rather than trusting, finding my own inner voice and trusting that. And so I, I definitely had a deep feeling that continuing to take the medication every time I was encountered with this challenge was keeping me at this certain 
threshold. It was my version of stopping at the coals and turning around and uh, trying to go back to who I was before I stepped up to the uh, coal walk challenge, if you will, and committing to this uh, process of going through the anxiety with these tools, um, that was really my version of learning to walk across those coals. And you come out the other side with this newfound confidence and a belief in yourself and your ability to uh, face challenging experiences and face your own fear and it just starts to turn up the volume a bit on that inner voice. Maybe you can't hear the inner voice at all, or maybe the voice is just a faint whisper. And it starts to just kind of notch that inner voice up. So eventually you can uh, get your inner voice to the point where it's uh, like one of those shock jock radio shows where it's like, you know... 97.1 inner voice crank it up and rip the knob off you have been listening to awake aware alive if you like this podcast Visit my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Jacob Gossel, where you can support me and this show and my music and other creative endeavors. And I will make sure you get some type of extra special love in return for your support. Thank you.